Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, your podcast, my podcast. Technically, it's all of ours, right? I'm producing it. You're consuming it. It's both of ours. Anyways, the guest this week is Mr. Brandon Steinhardt. He is the drummer for a band, a little band you may have heard called Rancid, the drummer for Rancid. And he also helped form the band The Used. This interview was a long time coming, but I'll tell you more about it in a moment. Let's get some business niceties out of the way. 100wordspodcast.com is your official source for all things this show. Go on the right side of the page. You will be able to find some things to do. Donate to the show. Sign up for the email newsletter that I send out once a week. And uh, I forgot what the third thing is, but yeah, just to do those two things. You know, that's that, that's the most important thing right now. So anyways, I've recently been cleaning out a lot of my house because for those of you that are keeping track of what's been happening in my life is that I had a leak and I had to do a lot of remodeling and just basically the house is in disarray. So I needed to uh, clean out some stuff. And so I am getting extremely nostalgic with all of my pack rat tendencies of all of my old band's flyers and all of my, honestly, junk. Most people would look at it and be like, dude, why are you keeping that clipping from your local newspaper that reviewed a show of yours when you were 18 years old? Well, I don't know. Who knows when I'm going to need that in order to feel good about myself? <laughs> the, the stuff that I've kept, some of it impresses me as far as like, wow, why did I find relevance in holding on to this wristband of a show I played? Whereas some things are like, oh, of course, of course I keep this thing. Of course I keep this, you know, trophy or certificate of appreciation or something like that. But then there's other things where it's like, dude, what was, what was going on in my mind at the time? Do I feel like I would have an infinite amount of space in my house as I grow up for this stuff? So Needless to say, I threw out a lot of stuff, but you know, it's, it's just always interesting when you're going through old things. I don't know if any of you keep like a box. Don't tell my wife this, but I, I kept like old mixtapes from girls that I gave them to. And when I say old, I didn't actually keep the tape. I actually, this is how neurotic I am. So what I would do, say you, the listener, you were a person I was interested in having some sort of relationship with, and we had developed enough of a bond where I was like, you know what? I think music will do the trick. I created a mixtape, and for those of you that are not familiar with the concept of a tape, I, you know, I joke, but some of you obviously maybe have not seen them, but anyways, what you do is you would kind of run through a uh, list of bands and put some songs on there and, you know, artfully craft it to where by the end of this tape, this person will fall in love with you. I did that a couple times. I mean, there, you know, I definitely did it far fewer times than uh, maybe one would expect. <laughs> but I definitely made some tapes. And this is, like I said, this is how neurotic I am. I photocopied them, the actual song titles. And of course, I had to put descriptions on why I'm putting this particular song on the tape for you. So I photocopied those and then I kept those. I think my logic at the time was like, okay, if I'm going to give more than one tape to this specific person, um, which for the record, my wife received the most amount of mixtapes. I think she received five by the time that uh, I realized that she's simply not listening to them anymore. I think my logic was that, okay, I'm going to keep a running record of these so I'm not duplicating myself. Because, you know, sometimes you're like, dude, this song is really, really good. This is kind of the hit. You know, I am 100% going to include the American football never meant song. I'm going to 
definitely include some other song that it just not coming to my mind right now. But anyways, so yeah, that, that sort of stuff that I kept. Needless to say, I threw those those old mixtape notes away because, you know, I didn't didn't really need to worry about that. My 19-year-old girl I was dating at the time doesn't really necessarily need to worry about me giving her another tape that may have a duplicate song on there. Youth, right? Anyways, but that's not why you're here. You are here to listen to me converse with Brandon. And like I said, this interview was a long time coming. This came about because a very old guest of the show, he himself is not old, but a very long ago guest, dive in the archives for this one, Jay Weinberg. I think it's public knowledge, or maybe this shouldn't be acknowledged, I'm not sure, but he he plays in a very large metal band now, I'll I'll say that. But uh, yeah, Jay Weinberg, he basically was the almost the moment we were done with the art interview, he was like, dude, you need to speak to one of my good friends. And I was like, okay. So he's like, he plays drums for Rancid. Great dude. Crazy life story. I was like, okay. So him and I traded some emails. I wanted to kind of do it in person. And then, because he, he spent, Brandon spent some time in LA. Needless to say, it never synced up. And then finally I was like, you know what? Screw this. We need to get this on tape. Let's do it over Skype. We can handle it this way. His story is just crazy insane. And he's been able to get through some pretty terrible circumstances and be able to, uh, you know, ultimately do what he loves, which is obviously playing drums. So I will let him do the talking and I will do the asking of questions and you will listen to it. I will talk to you after the jump. point to kind of you know you and your, your musical projects and what you've done done in the past um I, I was aware of you prior to jay mentioning like one of the best things about this show is like usually after a person is done with an interview usually like a week later i hear back from them and they're like dude you need to talk to these three people and it's right. so cool it's so cool because then it obviously like pulls everything together but yeah so immediately after Jay Weinberg and I were done with with his interview. He was like, "Dude, you need to talk to my close friend." And I was like, "Oh, like that would that would sound rad." And then, it, you know, once I started to kind of delve into your story a little bit more, the one thing that struck me, you know, kind of a, a thread throughout your life, beyond the fact you're obviously a drummer, was the fact that like it seemed like you took playing drums seriously. Like I think a lot of people, including myself, which like, I mean, I'm a, a horrible drummer and I never played drums in any bands, fortunately, but <laughs> the notion is that, you know, when you're obviously a teenager and you're kind of, you know, dicking around with drums, there are a lot of people that just, you know, don't take that very seriously. They just think like, Oh, there's no notes. So it's easy to play. Um, yeah, but, yeah. but you never, you never struck me as that sort of person in kind of the way that you projected yourself to the outside world. Would you, would you agree with that sentiment or is that just like a, a byproduct of you being, you know, a musician now for lack of a better term? No, I mean, I mean, to me it's weird. Cause I feel like there's so many, like, um, I don't know, like there's so many drummer attributes and things that I feel like I'd never fit to, you know, like, like I always feel like I'm not a very good drummer in the sense of like, I, I don't seem to follow like the rules, you know, I don't really care about a lot of things. I don't really care about old drummers. I don't really care about current drummers. I don't really, you know what I mean? I'm like, it's like, I, to me, it was like, I'm more like a guy that chases passion, you know, like when something strikes a nerve with me, I just chase it and I love it and I dive in deep and, and drums was that for me where like I tried lessons for a couple of weeks. It wasn't happening. You know, like I, 
didn't love that at all. And, and to just like play drums with other musicians was what I fell in love with. You know what I mean? Like I didn't like geek out on drums as their own instrument with like whatever and subscribe to magazines and you know what I mean? Like I just, mm-hmm. I didn't care. I, I cared about the thrill of making music with other people and the drums were what I liked because I was an angry kid and I got to be like a form of violent that was productive, you know, and it was, it was positive. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like getting like a high, getting like some angst out, getting all these things. And I just loved that. It was like uh, my drug, you know, and, and I needed it. And so I just chased after that because it was sincere. It wasn't like something I felt like I needed to do. It wasn't something, you know, I didn't have a coach or a teacher or a team or anything to rely on. It was just me. And then linking up with other people that were like-minded with their instruments and just destroying shit and seeing what came of it, which usually wasn't anything good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah. There's something interesting in there. The fact that you identified more particularly with you loved being like creative with people. Cause there is, an isolating element to drumming where it's like I, I, a guy I played with in, in bands for years, like he immediately comes to mind where it's like he, uh, unlike you, he was, you know, so impressed by, you know, like (laughs) Terry Bozio where it was like, I remember (laughs) he fucking took me to a Terry Bozio concert and it was like, (laughs) dude, of course it's impressive. The guy has like a kajillion drums and he kills it. And, but uh, there was something that was so, um, you know, masturbatory about it where it was like, Oh dude, like, I get you're really good, but like, you know, that you didn't feel like you're talking about that sort of passion, but so it's cool. It's cool that you identified with the, the creative nature and you're just like, well, this is the role that I can play in this creative input. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, like the, it was interesting because as I learned to play the drummers that were the most interesting to me were the ones I could like identify with in a way that like, it wasn't that they weren't good. It was in a way that their drums were just absolutely perfect for the music they were playing. You know what I mean? And it didn't mean like over flash and overplaying and all this stuff. Like two of the most influential drummers on me have been, um, well, I mean like growing up on like the rage against the machine records, you know what I mean? It's like Brad Wilk on those, on those records was so perfect. And then like, Nirvana, you know, Dave Grohl and like these drums that like you could kind of air drum along to if you're not a drummer, you know, and you just, they were so rad and so perfect and you can feel like you're playing these beats as a beginner drummer. But then the more you grow and realize like how good they really are, (laughs) it's like, holy shit. Like that is so good because it's so like everything, the way the hi-hat is being struck to like, everything about it is just perfect. You know what I mean? And it's not being cluttered by all this, all these extra notes and crap to just flex and, you know, Mm -hmm. jerk themselves off. Like how rad they are. (laughs) It's like, you know what I mean? Like to me, to this day, Dave Grohl is probably my favorite drummer of all time. And I think he's got chops to hang with some of the sickest, but he's never going overboard to trying to prove anything. Mm -hmm. And what he does is what's best for the song. You know, he takes a songwriter approach to drumming, and I love that. I I would much rather, like, have the most boring drum beat to a song be a part of a great song and have that drum beat be what make, helps make it great than 
overplay and have people think I'm like this crazy rad drummer or something and have the song like seem weak, you know, like that's just not interesting to me. Like it's, it's something more the process of not just songwriting, but performing as well. Like, you know, I remember like growing up and, and some of my first bands where my, my uh, way of thinking, my approach to this hadn't quite set in yet. You know, I was kind of finding my groove as a, as a human, as well as a musician, you know, and, and I was in a band where like everybody, you know, we all thought we had chops and, and, and everybody's just like overplaying like crazy every song. And it's like one song's a ska punk song and one's a new metal song. And one's like <laughs> a punk song. You know, we were one of those terrible bands with no identity and it just was overplaying like crazy on everybody's part. And like, you'd get off stage and if someone told you like, you know, you were a great drummer, or you're a great, whatever. It was like, so rad. Like, Oh wow. That's awesome. People think I'm good or something. And then after a while, I, I, I got to a point where it was like started finding a groove. And to me, the biggest compliment I ever received was when people started complimenting the band. Like you guys are a rad band. You know what I mean? And like mm-hmm. when you, when you meet people and they're appreciating the songs and the, the whole group, that was the coolest part where it was like, no, this isn't about me. You know what I mean? Like it's not about me at all. This is about yeah. creating something. You feel yeah. You felt like you were you, you felt like you were doing something right when when people were were noticing the piece as a whole rather than your sweet fill. Yeah, exactly. It's like well, cool, but that's not what I'm going for here. Like I, you know, and and to me, it was like drums were like kind of an escape. I guess. I mean, there was so much psychology to me in in why I even began playing drums that that making it something about just glorifying myself was opposite of what i got to do it for yeah you know, no like, yeah no i that that was something i was going to bring up later but it, since you mentioned it now where it was like you know in, in many of your interviews you've you've been honest obviously about in your your father committing suicide when you were young and then uh, how your solace and what you kind of poured yourself into was 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 the drumming um and how it was obviously you were it was your form of therapy rather than professional therapy um yeah. I couldn't find any details in regards to obviously your, I mean, and when I say couldn't find, like I was doing some extensive research, but like I, I, I wasn't, uh, you, when your father committed suicide, how old were you? I was 11. Okay. So, I mean, like obviously very, uh, cognizant of the world around you and aware. Um, yeah. and so you're, uh, did, was he struggling with depression? Was it alcoholism? Like what was he, uh, going through that you were able to glean it, glean any information from obviously after he committed suicide? You know, it was, it was weird because up until I was like 10, I assumed I had the same kind of life anybody had, you know, like it just felt like I was this little Mormon kid, just, you know, all smiles, just floating through life and not being liked in elementary school. You know what I mean? It was like, it just felt very normal. Um, this little Mormon family living all over, we were moving constantly, but um, just cause my parents couldn't seem to really keep jobs, but, um, nothing seemed weird. Nothing seemed special. Nothing seemed bad. Nothing seemed, you know, we were, you know, lower middle class and, and it just seemed like life. But then, you know, you learn that I was too young to be involved directly, but, um, my father was very abusive. Apparently I didn't realize any of this. And then learning more about him, like, I feel lucky that I was old enough to understand, but I was also young enough that I didn't really get a lot of this stuff I was hearing about. 
Mm. Um, so being like, you know, our family all had to go to, into all kinds of counseling and things like that. My parents got divorced and everything happened so quickly. Like, you know, before I know it, there's like, you know, he's not legally allowed to see us and he's facing jail time and all this stuff. And I'm just being told all of this stuff. Like, oh, everything, I've never even seen my parents fight before, you know? And, and he just had a lot of, um, a lot of demons that, you know, unfortunately he grew up with and, and dealt with a lot of abuse growing up too. And, and he couldn't escape it. And then he had a terrible counselor, um, who just really did him in, you know, and made him feel absolutely terrible about himself. And, and, um, I mean, last I heard was, you know, when he told my mom and, all of us who didn't love any of us, that was pretty heavy, you know? <laughs> yeah, the, just kind of tracing the timeline. So basically, your your parents got separated uh, much earlier or it was like a few years before? No, this was like months before. Oh, okay. So this was all, it was kind of a tempest all happening at the same time. Yeah, I mean, this was all like, it felt overnight, you know? All of a sudden, you're learning something's going on and dad's leaving and, and they're getting a divorce. And it's like the minute you're trying to wrap your head around something and understand what's happening, there was a new development, you know, and I was living in Sandy, Utah at the time. Um, I want to say, I mean, this might've all been while I was 11 within that year even. Um, but I just remember, you know, we were a Mormon family. So like the Bishop, you know, of, of our ward or whatever, him and a, a cop showed up on our porch and I answered the door and they asked my mom and I grabbed her and me and my siblings, they'd like take her outside. And like, I tried to follow her out and this like cop pushes me back in the house and closes the door. Wow. And even at 11, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know? yeah, like, yeah, for sure. So I go tell my siblings, I'm like, guys, like there's a cop and our Bishop on the porch, which our Bishop actually worked for the, the sheriff's department. Um, and the bishop, I, whatever, that's like the kind of leader of your... Yeah, the priest of a, of a church. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the Mormon version. But this guy was, was great. You know, he, he was like a sheriff or something, I remember. And they had been really looking out for us. Like, we were a struggling family and very poor at the time. And, and you know, my mom was very quickly a, a single mother and, and trying to work and provide. And it wasn't happening. And um, <clears throat> But anyway, I remember told my family and me and my brothers ran around to the side of the house to try to like eavesdrop and see if we could hear anything. And we honestly, we thought our mom was getting arrested for writing bad checks. Was wow. what we all was talking about. We we're like, Oh no, like what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Cause that was like story of our life at that time. You know, the church had provided Christmas for us and groceries and things, you know, like we we're just not getting by very well for quite a while. And so anyway, they come inside and, and, um, my mom's crying and, and they break it to us. You know, they say your father passed away. He took his own life and mm-hmm. I'll never forget that moment, man, like ever. And I didn't even know that kind of thing happened. You know, I was still so young. It was just like the idea of, of death and all these things. It just, I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, well, little, I mean, like, I, yeah, well, as a kid, like having that idea thrust upon you where, you don't even really know what death is beyond that it's been taught to you via religion or cult- culture that like okay death is something you avoid but yeah on top of that the the fact that you can have the quote unquote control or power to take your own life that's like yeah you can't you can't that input doesn't make sense to you and it was weird because i it was kind of like i understood death a little bit because 
you know, not long before that, my, my father's mom had passed away. Um, and we had gone out to California for her funeral and definitely had lived it. And like my sister's boyfriend died in a car accident. Like, so it was like going to funerals and stuff. It was like, I, I kind of, I got it. Like I understood. And especially being 11, like I, I got that, but just the idea of him like killing himself was like, I don't know. It was, it was so heavy, but at the same time, I was young enough that I could still like carry on and, and, and laugh and smile. And, you know, I kind of took that role all the time as like trying to be like the funny kid in the family, trying to make people laugh and whatever, just to take the focus off what's going on, you know, but, um, I was just going to interject cause I, I wanted to paint the picture too, of like, uh, how many, uh, c- commonly speaking within Mormon families, uh, you have a lot of brothers and sisters. And so how many brothers and sisters did you have? Yeah. I mean, when it was just like the root family, there was five kids. I have an older sister, um, two older brothers and a, and a younger brother. Um, so it was the five of us and my mom at, at this time. And then later quickly, that doubled when my mom got remarried and he had five kids of his own and then they had a kid together. So right. before you know it, suddenly 11 of us stupid it, is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, as we were mentioning earlier, obviously like you, you, you dove into drums and kind of, you know, viewed that as therapy. Um, was that around the same time that, um, I, I guess independent music started to introduce itself into your life? Cause I mean, I'm trying to also paint a context for people because that don't really know too much about the Mormon religion. I have some experience with it in regards to the fact that it's like, it's obviously a very uh, stifling religion from the standpoint of like, you know, they don't want you generally speaking, interacting with sort of outside culture and outside elements. So like getting into, I always found it so interesting when, especially a band like they used happened from where you guys came from. It was always like, right. Oh my God, of course I can easily see that. And obviously it's like how straight edge hardcore is such a huge thing in Salt Lake City. It's like, of course I get that. They're rebelling against everything that they were around, surrounded by. Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting because I think as a, you know, the the Mormon bit, I don't even really draw many things from it anymore because, you know, I've been agnostic for years. I let them be like, you know, I, I may not have survived childhood quite literally if it wasn't for the Mormon church being there for my family. I certainly have nothing to say or feelings toward the organization, you know, but, um, I mean, they're just, they look out for one another and they look out for others, you know, it's great. And I props to them for it. But at the same time, religiously speaking, I don't really, I'm agnostic. I don't know anything. I'm pretty sure no one else does. And I'm at peace with that. <laughs> you know, but, right, but, right. Um, so it, as, as far as a lot of that goes, like it was an interesting timeline because, Okay, there I am at 11, and I'm not really into anything. I just started skateboarding. You know, my, my sister's, um, the guy she was dating at the time, you know, gave me my first Thrasher magazine, and I fell in love with that. Just, like, started skateboarding. My older brother rode BMX, and, you know, this was the 80s, and I just got way into it. And skateboarding really kind of took over my life and became kind of my, my outlet at that time. But then... I mean, we, tying back into kind of what you were saying, like living in Utah, we live in a very extreme culture here where like the, because this is where like the headquarters of the Mormon religion are and you've got the highest population of, you know, like just in this county alone, you know, like there's so many Mormons and it's such a, it has so much effect on the culture here that 
like people tend to either be like hot or cold, black or white. You know what I mean? That you're either like all in something or you're all out of it as far as possible. You know, like mm-hmm. as much as we have like a high population of Mormons, we also have, you know, the highest rate of abused prescription drugs, you know, it's like meth capital of North America or some shit like that. You know what I mean? So we have like such extremes here where it's like, People aren't just simply like drug free and sober in like a music scene or something here. They're like fucking straight edge and it's a thing, you know, like there's like a, you know it, you know, people are like vegans, you know, everybody like anti-Mormons. No one's just like doing the thing. Pick a side. Everybody makes it everyone's business, you know? Yeah. And it's tricky because it's like, well, what about a little bit of gray area? You know, like I feel like that's my motto of life is trying to find a gray area and these when you're surrounded by extremes because it's like, no, you don't have to be like diehard religious guy and self-righteous and judgmental, but you also don't have to be anti-religion. Like mm-hmm. maybe just let people be and just fucking chill out. You know what I mean? like, There's always nuance to every situation you're in. It may be extreme when you're like 14 or 15 years old, but like as you grow older, you realize that it's like, Oh yeah, there isn't blanket statements for everything. Yeah, and it's a shame when some people don't grow up and recognize that it just remains that way. <laughs> you know, it's like, like I never got like early on. A couple of the older guys I had skated with were straight edge, and that was my like first. You know, this is like when I was maybe four, thirteen, fourteen. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm first hearing of straight edge, and it was awesome. These guys were like just these super grounded, awesome skaters that I looked up to tons just because how good they were, you know? And, and, um, they were just kind of like little role models to us because there were no skaters here where I lived. And, and, um, it was just like, Oh, that's rad. Like they're drug free and, and don't have promiscuous sex. Like I'm drug free and I'm a virgin. Like that makes me a straight edger. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like, like, ah, no. And so there was like one hot minute in my early teens that, I was like, yeah, I'm straight edge because, you know, that sounds like me. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, well, wait a minute. No, I'm not. Like, I don't care. I don't do this because it's part of like a scene or a part of a whatever. I just simply remain sober and drug free because my friends at party, I, I see what it's doing to them. And it's just kind of not appealing to me, you yeah. know, and yeah. there was enough going on at home that I didn't need to bring on potential trouble to myself and, you know, I was trying to keep a grasp on life anyway. I didn't need something else like potentially fucking with my head, you know? And like, I mean, I like the analogy of like, you know, if I'm going to fucking work with a hammer every day, I don't want to wear like big, thick mittens when I do it and baby my hands. I want to fucking build some calluses and toughen up so I can handle doing that kind of shit. And as in life, like, it's like, yeah, maybe doing a little something might have helped in those hard times. Might have eased it a little bit might have been that crutch and that whatever but fuck that like i'd rather this shit harden me and (laughs) and just build those those calluses inside me that like i can withstand whatever like i don't need to rely on something else to make it easier or whatever like you know i don't need to be medicated or have some fucking crutch like i just want to take it on and strengthen because this is life and life throws shit at us Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I I see exactly what you're saying. Independent music like that started to sprout up like around when you were saying like 13, 14. That's kind of when it started to uh, to become introduced to you. Hell, it was kind of late in my life. I feel like I think I was like 15 before music even started having a presence because in our household, there was really no music other than like 
you know, my dad liked the Beach Boys and my mom, you know, the, the Kenny Rogers, you know, but like there was really no music in my household at all. It was just through like skateboarding culture and stuff and Thrasher magazine that like I was stumbling over bands and music and my friends buying cassettes and then later CDs and whatever and and sharing stuff with me that I started to find music at all, you know, and and around that same time was when I I decided to try playing drums too, which was all a very crucial, like huge turning point in my life, you know, um, to kind of fill in the gap from 11 to, to 15 was like within a couple months of my dad passing away, my mom remarried another guy. Um, and it was kind of nuts because they met on a blind date and whatever day of the week that was, one week later, exactly, was their wedding day. So, <laughs> oh man, this is the guy that had five kids, and my mom had five kids, and it was like, what the fuck are you guys thinking? <laughs> you know, like you've known each other a week, and you're it's your wedding day, and so you know we're not, you know, dad's hardly fucking cold in the ground, and my mom's remarrying. You know, it was just fucking crazy the whole thing. But at the time, I was just like cool, whatever. Like, this is life. This is what happens, I guess, you know? And like, I didn't get it. Like now I think it's fucking insane, but, but <laughs> like, back then I was just going with it, you know? And then that just introduced a whole new element because they moved us all into one house. And again, there was just no m money and no anything coming in, especially to provide for fucking so many of us that like, and then it introduced violence into our lives like I've never seen because there was a lot of, you know, my stepsisters and stepdad, very violent and abusive toward my mom. All of a sudden we have a new routine where a couple of days a week, you're calling the police on our, on my step family for beating up my mom, you know, and she's in a wheelchair. That should two be routine. broken legs and shit. Oh, you know? that's awful. And it was just like, I remember like fucked up, fucked up days and stuff like where, you know, my mom's, already got a broken leg from some bullshit fight and they're in another fight and we're getting fucking, she's crawling down the hall because she broke her other fucking leg and he's throwing me and my brother in a room, slamming the door and we're standing behind the door with bricks, like just waiting for him to come back in. And you know, like just fucked up dark shit that thank God is in my past. Yeah. But the, the, the positive that came from that, was I was becoming so angry, but not violent. I was just, I had never been in fights in high school and never did any of that shit, but I was punching every fucking locker and brick wall there was and just always had bloody knuckles and shit. And I just always had this fucking scowl on my face. And I was so mad at the world, you know, rightfully so, because all I'd known since I was 11 was fucking violence and self-destruction and anger and heartache and stuff, you know? And, mm -hmm. So the skateboarding wasn't quite, I mean, all my friends are starting to smoke weed and do things like that and get into hip hop and whatever. But meanwhile, I was kind of like getting more into punk and like rock and, and I was staying sober cause I sure as fuck didn't need anything like that adding to this mess, you know? And so I, I actually stumbled over a photograph of my father when he was a teenager and he had like this Beatles wig on that looked like long hair. And I had long hair at the time. And he fucking looked exactly like me sitting behind this drum set. And I was like, oh, fuck, that's right. He was a drummer. And 
I started looking at all this stuff, and it was amazing. And I didn't care about music. I sure as hell didn't care about playing an instrument, you know? Like, everyone in my family had music lessons, whether piano or trumpet or whatever, except for me. I was the only one that didn't have any music lessons growing up. And I was just like, I want to play drums, you know? Like, I wanted to take after my dad in a way that could be positive. And that mm-hmm. was one of the few things I could find. And so I bought a drum set, worked my fucking ass off to buy a cheap, like, it was like a Vista Light Ludwig that was awesome. But um, I didn't realize how awesome it was. But I worked so hard to earn the money from my parents and from whatever sources I could to buy this cheap little couple hundred dollar drum set. Mm-hmm. And I just started playing just when I was mad, dude. Like, I'd there'd be shit going on at home and I'd just go lock myself in my room and just hit these drums so hard, not even caring about trying to groove and whatever. I was just like crying and screaming and hitting drums. And all of a sudden it was just like, that would take all the pain away. Like it made everything better and it started to sound good. And it was just like, holy shit. And I could play along to these like aggressive, like hard records and, start learning these songs and it just felt good. And these bands I could identify with and this angst, and you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it was just so right. And that shit literally saved my life. I mean, I was suicidal off and on this whole period. And once I got that drum set, when I'd start feeling those feelings rather than sit there and look around and try to get creative and see if there was anything around I could use to fucking kill myself. I'd see that drum set sitting there and I'd just go play and have it out. And it was my best friend on earth, you know, like that literally I wouldn't be alive today if I didn't own a drum set, you know, it was crazy. It is one of those things where it's like you, you can look, like you said, because you're through it, you can look back on it and sort of identify these, these patterns in your life where like you were just trying to look at the positive of no matter what situation and how deep and terrible it is. Um, you're trying to look at the positive and obviously see what tools you could use to like get through it. Whether that was like you being a jokester at school, whether that was, you know, drumming to obviously prevent you from, like you said, being creative and, you know, uh, uh, attempting suicide. It is interesting to see that like, even, you know, with all of that outside influx that like we, you know, you in particular as a human, you're like, this is my core being. Like, I'm going to always try to look on the positive side, no matter what it yeah. is, you know? So it's yeah. cool that it's cool that you're able to uh, kind of identify that subconsciously to be able to push through it. Yeah. I mean, I felt like, I felt like it all forced me to harden up quicker than maybe most, you know, teenagers do. I don't know, but um, not harden up. I just think it hardened me, you know, but but luckily it didn't take away my compassion and, and just my love for, for things and the beautiful things in, in the world, you know, but I was certainly a very dark, angry kid, you know, and, and to be able to identify with just punk rock. And even if lyrically I couldn't directly identify with the angst, you know what I mean? Like just to doing shit to just kind of hurt yourself, but in a good way, you know, I grabbed a safety pin and shoved it through my nostril when I was, like 16 or something, you know, and like, right. I still have my nose pierced from that safety pin, you know, it's like, it was just like, nah, fuck it. Like I'll do things like this because at least I'm still alive. You know, at least it's not something that's fucking up my, like, it's not clouding my brain. It's not hurting my body in a way that I can't recover from. Or, you know what I mean? It was just kind of 
gave me a little something to be, I don't know, you know, if, if my knuckles were bloody at this point, it was because of drumming and hitting cymbals and, and the room, and, you know, not because I was punching walls anymore. And that just felt good. It felt good to be alive. And it's, it's nice to feel that pain and to know you're alive. But when it comes from a positive place, it feels so much better, you know, yeah. and it just kind of took away a lot of fear in life as well as created new fears, to be honest. But, but it wasn't something like at this point, it certainly wasn't like an ambition of mine. I had no desire to be like a fucking drummer in a band kind of thing. Like, like to go tour and to put out records. Like I didn't care at all, dude. I was hardcore. Like I'm a skater. That's what I do. This is just like my counseling sessions that are cheaper and <laughs> more fulfilling, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't until like I started playing shows. Like I still remember the first show I ever played was in at like this house party. If you can call that a show, but mm-hmm. um, I was a terrified person with like stage fright, like crippling stage fright. Like I would not go to school for, I'm not exaggerating. I would not go to school for two weeks because there was like an oral report due or something. I would ditch school for two fucking weeks to get out of doing like an oral report because it was so terrifying to me. Right. Right. The worst. But so the idea of playing shows was like, hell no. That's like my biggest fear. Why the fuck would I want to do that? You know what I mean? And it's like totally, totally. You're like, why? Why would I subject myself to this? Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't doing this to be fucking cool. I wasn't doing it to be seen. I was doing it to survive. You know? And it's like, so I don't need to go do this in front of people so they can watch me and judge me and you know, like fuck that. That's counterproductive to what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, like yeah, I'm yeah. just trying to live and, and not. You know, and so the idea of it just didn't resonate with me. Like, no, why would I do that? And then my, the singer of my band set up this house party thing for us to play at. And I was so mad about it. I was just like, <laughs> damn it. So I did it. And like, what a day that was. I mean, I'm just, the memories are like flooding in. But like my buddy, one of my good friends at the time, accidentally maced me that day. <laughs> it was just like, it was just not my day. Right. You know, like. I was getting maced by my friend, one of the worst pains I've ever felt. It was so terrible, like some gnarly pepper mace. And um, so when we were playing that show, I was so nervous. And then I remember our set, we played like six songs and we played like two or three, we played two Nirvana songs. I don't know, a couple of our own and whatever. But I just remember we started out with Rape Me by Nirvana was our first song. Mm-hmm. And with that guitar and vocal or whatever, the guitar intro started, I was so nervous, scared, like undescribably nervous. Mm-hmm. And the second I started, that just was instantly gone. And I felt better than I had ever felt in my life. Like not exaggerating, that was the best I'd ever felt. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it. And it was like, you may as well have shoved heroin into my arm because I was fucking addicted and hooked and just like, oh my God, like, I need more of this, you know? <laughs> just like, totally, like, yeah, yeah. I needed more shows. And it turned around quick. What was the name of that band, that project? We were called Strange Itch. Okay. Terrible name. No, that's a, it, well, <laughs> dude, if you had a good band name and your first band, I'd question you. Um, yeah, that'd be weird, right? <laughs> I get, dude. I get like in this in this show. Usually, a first band comes up, and it's I get so mad when I talk to people or or friends that are. Just, I'm just like, wait a minute, 
this was your first band, wasn't it? And it's like the band that they're obviously like known for. I'm just like, come on, man. You got to have a terrible band yeah. name to start things off with. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you got to go through like, some terrible, terrible stuff before you can really find a good groove. <laughs> we right. did. We did the we mastered terrible, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> as, as, well, as well you should at that age. That's awesome. And so, uh, so, the, so then as you started to uh, you know, go through high school and start to you know, have your uh, eye on the future, so to speak, um, did you, were there any other sort of like uh, outside activities or interests that you were into as far as career stuff was concerned? Since you obviously said that you know, drumming was never like, oh, dude, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a pro musician, whatever that means. Yeah. No, it was it was funny because I was every parents and whatever like what they dread because I had no ambition or anything other than like what seemed unrealistic. I was certain I was going to be a pro skater. That was all that mattered was skateboarding, and I was I was certain, but there was no way. <laughs> you know, like I just wasn't that good. First of all, but it was just not happening. Like I was sponsored by like the local skate shops and. Me and my little crew of friends called ourselves Team Toy, and like it was just like people knew who we were because we were the only skaters in this county at the time, you know. Um, and then, like, of course, it was such a small community that when there were other skaters, we all met and became friends, and it was awesome, and it was like a, a family, you know. But I just didn't care about growing up and what I was going to do because honestly, I didn't see much future for myself, you know. It's kind of like you're living from one depression low to the next and just trying to survive. So like worrying about what I was going to be when I grew up was the last thing I was worried about. Like, I don't even know if I am going to grow up. So who gives a fuck? Sure. And it was really kind of a, a terrible way. I mean, it was all very dark when you trace back to my, <laughs> my youth, it's all depressing and dark, but the thing is the flip side to it. You know, it certainly contrasted itself, but yeah. So I was just certain I was going to skate. I didn't, you know, didn't have like girlfriends, didn't have like, I just, we were kind of losers, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and by kind of, I mean, we were losers. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> kind of like, but I mean, was, actually losers. <laughs> yeah. Like no one liked us kind of losers. It was funny how drumming just slipped in place of skateboarding. And in no way did it take the place in my heart at all. Um, because I still skate regularly. I still love it so much. It's a huge part of me, but it's the place in what I saw myself doing, you know, not as a career, but this is just like what my life is going to revolve around now was now music, no longer skateboarding. Skateboarding was my hobby and music was my life, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, like, the more, you know, musicians I linked up with, because my band, Strange Itch, we were like, I mean, we had a new member in the band every other week. You know, I think everybody in Utah County was once in that band with me. But <laughs> so yeah. after years of that, we finally called it quits with that name. And then I started another band called Dumb Luck that was equally terrible, really kind of the same band, just a new name. And that funneled members like regularly too um but not as much it was a little more short-lived but um that was when like i i don't even like to call it a scene but the the music here was like it was awesome because the local shows we'd rent like a veterans hall or something there were no venues but like there was one place but they wouldn't let us play there they kept kicking us out um we i'd start a band and play one show and they'd 
tell us we couldn't come back because they didn't like our scene or our genre or whatever the fuck they were excused to have that time. But um, we were just renting out, like, going to skate parks and playing shows or renting out these veterans halls and whatever. And it was awesome because we were playing with, like, metal bands and and funk bands and, and hip-hop groups and everything in between. Like, because there wasn't, like, a scene of these, like, different genres. There was no hardcore scene. There was no hip-hop scene. It was just simply... If you played music in Utah County, you were in that scene and we all played shows together, you know? So it was awesome because like the unity and the, you know, the shows were so rad and diverse, but very, very underground. No one gave a shit, you know, but um, through that, it kind of evolved where we were playing with a band called I'm a Stupid um, that was like a little kind of pop punk band. They played like Op Ivy covers and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then... In dumb luck, we had got this singer um, named Jeff at Long Dreadlocks and shit. Um, he was singing for the band, and at the end of Strange Itch, Jeff was singing for Strange Itch at the end. And then we got this guitarist that we found. It was super young seeming at the time, but just like a prodigy. His name is Quinn. And so the three of us were in the band, and then the bass player left because he thought he could go do better things without us because he thought better than the three of us. So <laughs> we yeah. got a different guy. And then it was crazy because that evolved and evolved, and we played with this band, I'm a Stupid, and me and Jeff, like, started the pit at this little show that was, like, 18 people, and it was so fun, man. And then we became friends with those guys, and the singers, this guy named Bert, and then he ended up joining, starting this, like, hardcore straight-edge band called Cobra Kai that was just fucking insane, but so good. And then all of a sudden... He wasn't straight edge anymore. He was like doing meth and stuff. (laughs) Right, right. Utah, you know? (laughs) Totally, yeah. It swings one way or the other. Well, I think it's it. I mean, it's cool hearing the the story laid out like that because I think it, what you're describing is so symptomatic of most smaller towns. Because I think the struggle that a lot of people have when they don't live in whatever major metropolitan area is like this, like, I don't, you know, I don't know, like, what to do or where to go. And like, that's, I mean, for most cultural uh, standpoints from either like, you know, whatever, you have a kid who's 16 in some random town that's like, I want to go vegetarian. They're like, but I don't know what to do. It's like everything, (laughs) everything that's like creative has this, this thread that's involved where it's like, well, no, you just kind of got to start building it yourself. And that's exactly what you guys did, where it was like, obviously, like once, the used became a thing and you know it's well documented obviously from kind of the the, the point in your story on in regards to how the used yeah. got together and started to you know make an impact it did feel weird where it was like okay the used is from you know about an hour north of salt lake city but then south. once you start oh south sorry yeah you're right not yeah <laughs> south correct huge difference there um but then once you started to like look into that you were just like oh yeah there is this vital music scene in the surrounding areas of salt lake city because you, it was just a bunch of local bands that just kind of built it on their own yeah yeah exactly yeah and it was it was crazy too because at, at that point there had never been like a signed band out of utah you know so it still seemed like I mean, my parents literally like disowned me for wanting to be in a band. They actually did several times, but um, they weren't talking to me. They would like, I remember they like wrote off my sister at one point because she was letting me squat at their house in their basement, like this storage room. And they were just giving them shit that like, they were only encouraging me and I was never going to make it all this stuff. I was a high school dropout. I got to a point I just couldn't handle that anymore. And, and I dropped out of school. Um, 
And I was just kind of all in. It was like, no, like I have no choice but to make this work because I have no backup plan. You know, when my backup plan is to become a pro skateboarder, that's <laughs> not a very good backup plan. So it was just kind of do or die at that point. And then like I was just kind of, you know, shaping, um, that's how the use came together. You know, I, I named that band. We all linked up. And I mean, the rest, of course, you can read them. We have DVDs for that part. Right. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was just fucking crazy. And like the way it all went down, because there was never anything like that here. It just seemed so far-fetched. The idea of like, everyone would tell us like, you'll never do that. Like, and you're from fucking Utah, you know, like good luck with that. And it's like, why the fuck do I have to live on a coast to make good music? You know, like mm-hmm. who says like, why? Like that's fucking so stupid. And I can find example and example after like of things that bands broke out of that. And it's like, well, yeah, no one has in Utah yet, but they will. Cause right. we're going to, you know, and, and we got, I mean, call it luck, call it whatever. But the thing that it, it was kind of funny because the, the approach we took to that band was so much like what I've talked about with my drumming, where like rather than chasing after trying to be a drummer and whatever and geeking out on all the rad drummers and all this shit, like I just chased the passion of it. And that's what worked for me, you know, and like with the use rather than trying to emulate these bands we loved that we had been doing for so long with our previous bands we just decided to let go and to just, you know, if anything, let those bands influence us, but not try to emulate them. You know, like we don't need to dress and try to sound like these, you know, like we don't need to do that. Let's just be us, whatever that may be and see what happens. And it was crazy because, you know, with the guitarist in love with Radiohead at the time and, and our singer in love with ink and dagger and our bass player in love with Mr. Bungle and, me in love with punk bands, it was like when you mix all of that, it absolutely made sense that the used sounded like what we sounded like. Yeah. You know, because we weren't trying to be any of those bands. That was just where we were coming from, you know, and just again, chasing after the passion, not chasing after like an objective. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I see. I, I, I completely see it in the context of what you're talking about. And it's like, I think that's what, um, you know, what resonated with me when I, whatever the first two used records of being like, I mean, that's like, I, I distinctly remember where it's like, I can't remember exactly what record, but, uh, Sean Ingram from Coalesce did a guest vocal yeah. part. And it was, it was one of those things where it was like, I just remember, you know, whatever the punk and hardcore community was like, what the fuck? That's weird. And it's like, well, dude, they're just, we- they're just, <laughs> the, uh, the use are just weird hardcore kids from, from Southern Utah. Like that's just kind of, that's, yeah. it like, it made sense to me, but it's like the, yeah. Anyways, but the, like you said, it was like, all this was just drawing on, on all of your random influences. And that's exactly what the use sounded like, where it was like, yeah, just throw all that crap in a blender. And that's what you get. You get a, you get a smoothie yeah. of all this stuff. Here's the thing that always got me too, is the reason why punk rock music, the reason why these other bands, whatever you want to call them, but like Rage Against the Machine and Nirvana and all this stuff, the reason why this aggressive, angst-filled, just fucking angry music, why that resonated with me was because it was dangerous. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, it wasn't safe at all. It was, and the fact any of those bands were on like radio was just like, okay, now we're all really a part of something. There's, there's something happening. This is a movement. You know what I mean? And to me, that's what resonated about punk rock was, you know, the same kind of movement that started in 
the late 70s where like it was fucking dangerous it was unlike anything people were doing you know and and it scared people and it made people hate it it made whatever that's what made it fucking punk you know and <laughs> so to me it was like those were the elements i fell in love with punk rock and then in my life it's like all of us came from punk and hardcore bands every one of us that were in the used and and we were fucking punks and hardcore kids but we never once dared refer to the used and what we were doing as punk <clears throat> because that word takes on like this fucking like almost opposite of what it is meaning, you know what I mean? Where it's like, no, it has to have like a certain sound and a certain like look and a certain fucking package to be punk. Right. And to me, that contradiction made no sense, but I just left it alone because I didn't care because I don't give a fuck about the titles. But it was just like, Wait a minute, like if four guys from fucking nowhere that they love punk and all came from playing punk rock music, write music that sounds unlike anything out there that's dangerous and, and raises the bar and pushes the fucking boundaries, uh, but we can't call that punk because it's like, well, wait a minute. No, no, for that's sure. fucking stupid, you know? And plus, plus the more that you guys would have pushed against it, the more it would have been a thing for people to talk about and completely take the focus off of what you're exactly. doing musically where it's just like, Oh, but they're trying to call themselves a punk yeah. band. Fuck that. It's like, Oh God, that then it would have been a whole exactly. thing. That you just would, it would have been. Exactly. Worthless. I, I think it was, it was one of those things where to let everybody else battle that out was more fun. You know, like laughing it off when people came up with the term screamo and trying to classify us as that, it's just like, whatever call it whatever the fuck you want it makes no difference because we're not writing to cater to a genre we're just simply fucking writing and if what we write is a super mellow song with piano and shit like that then that's what we want to write and if it's something super heavy right. with a dude from Colesque, that's what we want to write like whatever the fuck hits us that day is what we're going to do not being and it was nice to have that to be liberated from feeling like we had to cater to some kind of genre or just some kind of sound because people identified us to nothing. You know what I mean? So we weren't, yeah. we weren't pigeon held and it was great when we were making records and dealing with labels who knew nothing about what we were trying to do, but they got that and they let us go with it. So they were never once trying to shape us or take power away from us or anything. We were able to do everything we wanted. And it was yeah. amazing because we had no, restrictions in any way you know and it, i've never felt so free and and creative as an artist as those years you know because could literally do anything at all and it didn't fucking matter and and didn't matter what anybody thought we were just having fun yeah. you're you just, you're, you're, right you're using you're, you're left to your own devices yeah. want to fast forward a little bit to the um you know i i think it's very interesting like you know in, in most of the interviews that you you have done recently in regards to or more so like when you actually first joined rancid where it was like i get this juxtaposition of emotions where it was like you know you were kind of you were at a very low point in your life because you were just you you know obviously had been unceremoniously let go of uh playing in the used because you weren't you know quote unquote like them and you were on both different life paths and then you know by happenstance you we're finding solace in, you know, talking to the guys in Rancid and hanging out with them and then like just being completely thrown in it. Was it kind of this weird mixture of just like, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm like, am I at the lowest point in my life or maybe not the lowest point in your life, but lowest point during that time. And then being thrown into this 
oh shit like i get we're gonna we're gonna record in two months yeah. like i'm in ranting yeah. i guess like <laughs> were this was it was it hard to keep up with those emotions as they were kind of swinging back and forth so quickly oh absolutely i mean it's it's still hard today you know almost nine years later whatever it's right. been, you know but like it's weird because you know out of the years was um, the lowest point of my adulthood for sure you know um just having worked so hard and poured so much of my heart and soul into something and have it taken away for, for, because I choose to be sober, you know, it was just like so painful in the way that I just thought I was doing the right thing. And apparently it was the wrong thing, you know, and, but then dealing with that, dealing with that still today, cause we've come a long way, me and those guys and you know, everything is in the past and, and we're like brothers again, you know, and I love that because I cherish my relationship with those guys. I cherish my memories with those guys and I can live my life with no bitterness and anger in my heart toward them because I can hard shit I went through and the pain of having that happen still doesn't overweigh all the great things we were able to do, you know, and, and being that first band out of Utah to be signed and to get like a gold record and shit. Like, you know what I mean? It was just like, Ah, fuck it. Yeah, that sucks. But the rest of it was amazing, you know? And so I go back and forth to that still today because I love those guys. And we've even talked about doing things together again and working together. And, and, you know, so like Mm -hmm. I I get excited at that. That's my family. That's my roots, you know, guys that we're all like-minded and came up in the same upbringings and, and similarities and stuff like that. Like that's so special to me. You know, right? You've you you have a shared history that's that's almost next to impossible to like mentally shed. Yeah, yeah. And we, I mean, they compare like being in a band to a marriage. You know what I mean? And it's like, well, you can't shake off like your first wife you had a few kids with. You know, what I mean? like that's not that's gonna stay with you like in your heart somewhere. You know, and yeah, and right. I don't know. So so yeah, I still deal with that and I still battle with those feelings. And I love reminiscing the old times. I mean, we built a monster together, you know, that was ours and it created like, we made a ripple in music, you know, and that's hard to do. And whether big or small or whatever you might think it was, we made a ripple and that was, that meant so much, you know? And so, but then you turn around and Rancid had been one of my favorite punk bands forever. You know, like I was listening to Rancid literally the same time I started playing drums and like listening to Let's Go on the way to school and shit. Like it was like mm-hmm. sort of join that band that I loved for so long and looked up to those guys for so long. That was like just a whirlwind of, you know, and like it's so hard to explain. It seriously sounds like a, a movie, but but you would think the movie would end there and it's like a, and then they lived happily ever after, you know, but it's, it's right. real life and that's not how shit works you know, but, um, so it's been a fucking roller coaster of its own being in that band because you, you know, first of all, there's the reality of these guys that I like put up on pedestals for so long becoming my peers and learning their strengths as well as their weaknesses and having a love hate relationship where sometimes I want to cut their fucking heads off and other times my favorite people on the planet. You know, and it's like to have that, it was a whole new thing where it's like, fuck, man, like, I wish I never had any heroes musically because then you, yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't have to lose them. 
you know like <laughs> yeah well no it's it, it is weird there definitely is a, i mean i'll i'll relate this story and I, I you'll you'll find it entertaining from the fact of it's like i was working at a label called century media records i ended up signing and working was sick of it all but it was it's so weird and i imagine you went through the same exact thing when you're talking to you know when i'm talking to the drummer armand about like business decisions and like how this band's next record should be and i'm just thinking in my head i'm like dude what the fuck are you asking me for like what do you why and like i'm sure you were just like dude i i don't know what to tell you man like i'm just yeah. here to play drums i can't tell you how to do stuff like yeah. you do you realize you put out and come and out come the wolves like i, I didn't do anything like that yeah. like you guys yeah. are unbelievable was it you feeling like you were playing a lot of uh i wouldn't even say catch up but just like you know what did it take you a while to feel like you were their peer in some regard no, actually, they did a really good job of that when I first came into the band. That, like, hell, even the first day I played with them, they just did a good job of knocking down all the walls and making it feel like we were just four guys playing music we love together. You know what I mean? And it was it was really cool, and they really treated me like an equal right from the get go. Um, you know, other than like every once in a while getting like the kid treatment, where like I'm quite a bit younger than these guys, and I think if anything, I get treated differently just more because my age than than experience or anything like that. Because I've done some shit, you know. So like, it's like, well, I've got a band. I started from nothing and had a lot of success from a town, but it's nowhere. Like, I've earned some stripes. They're different stripes than theirs, but I've earned mine, and I can hang, you know. And mm -hmm. so they do a great job of just like all of that, you know. What I mean, but it's the weird like flip sides to it. And don't get me wrong, I love what I do, you know? Like, I'm, I'm so, so lucky. But in the use, my style of drumming was very much my own, and it represented me and who I was and my writing and stuff. Because of the extensive history that Ransom's had and the amount of records, when we play a show, I mean, we play 35 songs a night, you know? And right. it's like a best of of all these records they've had over the last 20-whatever years, and... And so it's kind of like I'm in a cover band, but my bandmates do a really good job of impersonating the band. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like, I, it's like I, I fell out of my own band and I got lucky to get a gig playing rancid songs, you know, like, but those are, I, I mean, Brett Reed's a good friend of mine. I love that dude. And so half the time I'm just playing Brett's style of drumming and just doing what I can to make it my own with mm -hmm. while keeping it in, you know, I got, I have to keep it in the vein of rancid because that was a big thing for me when I joined was I was like, okay, this is important. Like if this was not me because I'm a big rancid fan and I'm a drummer. If this was not me and I heard some other guy join rancid as the drummer, first of all, I'd be super bummed if they just fucking overplayed like crazy and just tried to showboat everything and whatever, like, and just change the sound of the band. Like, I would be so bummed if that happened. But then I also thought I'd be super bummed if some dude comes in and is just going through the motions and just playing exactly the same as Brett and not using their own voice at all. So I was like, so I want to try to ride the line of somewhere in between where I can be me and interject my own style and just some fills and things of my own. But meanwhile, not take from the integrity of the band and the sound and keep it sounding like rancid because that's what people fell in love with, you know? And, and so 
I've had to kind of ride that line where it's like, yeah, like this isn't really the kind of drumming that I do on my own. Like it's not, I can do it, but it's not the way I play. It's not the stuff I choose to play. Like, so it's weird because it's certainly, there's a job that needs to be done, you know? And right, I yeah. never had that before. You know, I just came from this totally free play, whatever, do whatever for the song. And now I'm kind of playing cover songs. So it's weird. It's right. It's great when we do get to do a little bit of our own. And that's where you see me kind of, you listen to the last, the last two rancid records I played on and helped write. And I think you can hear a difference, but it's all very much classic rancid too, you know, like, yeah. And that was important to me it, again, to ride that line where it's like, no, I'll, like I'll put my ego in check. I don't need to fucking play crazy. I don't need to do this again. You know, I'll, I'll walk the walk, not just talk the talk. I'll play a super simple punk rock beat for two and a half minutes. If that's what will make the song the best, you know, like I don't need to do crazy fills and beats to like prove something. I'd rather the song be good, you know? So yeah, it's really put my own approach to it all to the test, but it's also just been a little bit of a, it leaves me with a creative void as a drummer a lot of the time because I don't get to explore the kit like I used to, you know? Mm-hmm. So that yeah. ends up being saved for at home. <laughs> right, right. No, well, it's, it's cool. I Honestly, I'm, I'm very glad that you were, you, I, were able to articulate that because yeah there's definitely uh elements of like you know when you are uh i mean obviously since you've been able to be creative with the the band now and like actually contribute to their records as opposed to just being like this you know quote-unquote higher on dude which clearly you're more than that um but it, it is cool because i think i think that's what's so surprising about you know this last record like i mean straight up like it's been a long time since i personally have really like become fully engaged in a rancid record and this one this last one in particular is exactly what you're talking about where it's like you know not only does it hit on classic rancid but it just it just shows the fact that it's like yeah you guys are are a good band and you write good Uh, songs thank you it's it's interesting and it's cool that you like i said you were able to express yourself like that to be like yes like yeah this isn't you know would i play everything like this if i were up to my own devices in my own practice room writing my own songs like no but I can do it, and I really, really like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I got is... fun with it for sure. Like I, I, I love what I do, and to me, the performing is really what it's all about. Because I love performing so much. Which again, I hate it. I hate the stage fright because I get nervous before every show. <laughs> but I have faith that the moment I hit those drums, that's going to melt away into something I love so much, which it does every time. So, so I love it. I love the thrill of it. I love the trying to be a showman with it. And, you know, that means standing on my drums every time I'm not playing them or whatever it takes. I just love, like I'm a rowdy kid, you know, like I'm, I fucking love to be active. I love doing recreational stuff. I just love being a kid, you know, I'm 36. I'm the oldest child ever, but, but like, (laughs) but so like when I play drums, I think that comes across. Like when you see me play, like I'm just rowdy with it. Like I, love it. I'm screaming. I'm singing along. I'm whatever, you know, because that's my, you're seeing me in my biggest outlet ever and whatever I can't unleash through some kind of wicked beats or whatever, I'm going to unleash in another form on that stage. You know what I mean? Just, I got to exercise the demons and <laughs> keep everything right, in right. deck, you know, like, so, I mean, the, the ugly parts when I don't get to tour as much as I'd like to, and then I'm just stuck in my head trying to 
battle that shit out, you know, and, and right. sane, you know? Yeah. The, the last thing I want to hit on before I let you go, something I find, I, I find so interesting. Like I, anytime I'm, I'm preparing for these interviews and, you know, kind of trying to f- figure out different uh, avenues in which to speak, pe- speak to people, usually obviously a wiki, Wikipedia page is always an interesting place to start off with. Cause <laughs> sometimes it's like people have, you know, a, a very long and storied musical career, but they've got like nothing on Wikipedia. But then people, some people have like, you know, uh, have been in a band for six months and they have like, you know, seven pages on Wikipedia. <laughs> it's so interesting. Y- you, you fall in this like weird in between where it's like you, you've got a lot of information on there, but it, it just seems so, uh, it's so varied. Like I, I, I was honestly, I looked at your Wikipedia page. Yeah. You should, you should pop onto it because it's so, it's interesting because there's a lot of, uh, you know, the beginnings of the, of, of you playing drums and all that sort of stuff. And then it's like, you know, it shifts to, you know, you the, the used portion and then the rancid stuff. And then, but then there's all this other, like, you know, extraneous information, like obviously the, um, you know, the, the song that you wrote for, uh, the, you know, real salt Lake, the, the major league soccer team. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just, it, it's funny. So it's like, it, my head immediately goes to, you have people that are fans of what you do, which I think is a testament to like you, not only as a person and the way that you relate to people who enjoy your drumming. Cause it's like, no one would go to Wikipedia to like fill in this random information about you if they didn't give a shit about like who you were as a drummer. Um, okay, yeah. so do you like, the sort of interactions that you have with people, um, do you find it that they've kind of picked you up from like either being super fans of the used or kind of, you know, just following you throughout your career or have they been people that have kind of like retroactively got into you through rancid and then hop backwards? I think it's a little bit of everything, which is so rad. Cause it's, it's weird because there's like, there's certainly the used following that still follow me and like post or anywhere I show my face or whatever. All I get is them, you know, telling me how much they loved the Hughes back then and wish I would join them again. <laughs> so it's like, and then I get like the Rancid fans that are just like super supportive and stoked I came on board and they're happy with what I've done in the band and whatever. And then like, I get this like soccer, like support that comes from the sports world. That's completely new to me because organized sports in general had no place in my life until 2007, you know, but, um, but then I get these, like sports fans that follow me and might not know or give a shit about either band, you know? And then, then there's just kind of the ones that seem to follow all of the above and just kind of are with me on my journey. And it's awesome because it's such a diverse group of people. Like I couldn't ask for more because I I think I've really lucked out with the people that support me because I think they support me because they get me and I don't know the way I do things. And they're kind of, it's other people that are like-minded and try to be in that gray area as well with a lot of things in life, you know, like I try not to be like shove things down people's throat, you know what I mean? And, but I also don't want to have no voice in, in, if I have one, you know, I'm kind of lucky to have that opportunity where people follow me and, and care about the things I want to say or do. So I also want to utilize that and for the better, but so I, yeah, like, yeah you don't want to, you don't want to waste that opportunity when you're given it. Yeah, but I don't want to like, I don't want to tell people what to eat. I don't want to tell people what what not to do. I don't want to tell people not to fucking do anything. I don't want you know. I don't want to be like pro and anti anything. I don't want to tell people who to vote for. I don't want to tell people what to think. You know, like I don't like that. I, that's not me. I mean, you know, to each their own. But 
the one thing I like to be outspoken about, I'm stumbling over my words because I'm having like 45 thoughts, but That's fine. the best things I've learned in my life and the best lessons I've learned in my life have been from examples, not from what someone has taught me. You know, like my high sure. school art teacher, who's still a friend of mine today, that guy's taught me more in my life from his example and who he is than anything he taught me as a teacher. You know, like my parents teach me so much about what not to do a lot of the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? My dad was right. my greatest teacher in what not to do. I look at life and I look at the examples around me because that's all free knowledge for all of us. You can see what someone's done, the decisions they've made, and be like, okay, that could be ha- that could happen to me if I do those things. Is that something I want? So good and bad. Like I love like, I mean like um, like my buddy Ken Block, a uh, race car driver, um, used to own DC shoes and stuff. Like I love just like following that dude, listening to what he's doing, like hanging out with him because I can learn so much because he's just creative. He's fucking brilliant. Like he's does the coolest things and I love it. And he just has fun in life and I love it, you know? And so, and then I see from other people, like to me, I just love those examples in my life. There's plenty of bad examples. Yeah. No, I, I, to- I totally get your point. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I really, really appreciate you uh, expanding on all these uh, ideas and, and talking to me today. I definitely uh, really enjoyed not only getting to know you, but then obviously hearing all these uh, awesome sides to your uh, story in your life. So I really appreciate it, Brandon. Yeah. No, absolutely. Thanks for, thanks for wanting to do this with so, Yeah. Thank you. Of course, of course. So there you go. That was Brandon. And like I said, just really cool story. To have something as traumatic as suicide impact your life in such a crystal clear, vivid fashion was, you know, that's that's really hard. And he was able to take that adversity and be able to kind of pour it into his creative outlet, which, like he said, you know, drumming saved his life. And that I absolutely believe. There's no hyperbole behind that. Anyways, the producer, as always, is Tom Richfield. I have been Ray Harkins. I don't know why I feel the need to do that there, but I just felt like it this time. So... Until next week, be safe, everyone.